This month's Where Did the Road Go is sponsored by three awesome people. Ellison Cook, Super Inframan, and 36 Dingo. If you want to help support the show, become a Patreon at wheredidtheroadgo.com. You get extra stuff all month, shows a week early, and much, much more. And now our show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And uh, this week I am joined by Red Pill Junkie. Good evening, Tool. Super Inframan. Hello, everybody. And Christopher Ernst. Hello there, folks. And uh, tonight we're going to do cover some more of the stories from the Mysteries of the Unexplained Reader's Digest book. Because there's, there's still... Good one. We did this once before, and people really, really liked it. I actually saw a copy of this at the Reuse Center down in downtown Ithaca. I don't know how rare it is. I don't think it's super rare, but like, I just happened to, after we did the show <laughs> last time, I happened to go in there, and I'm like, oh, look at that. Nice. <laughs> did you grab it? No, because I already have it. Oh, okay. So I figured somebody else can have it, maybe. Yeah. I, did, I did pick up uh, Nick Redfern's uh, Bodies in the Desert. Is that what it's called? Mm. Mm. That, Body okay. snatchers in the desert. Yeah. What, what is it? Body snatchers in the desert. That's it, yes. Because I've never read that one. I didn't have it. And that was the only thing there that really stood out to me. And I was like, oh, cool. Is that the uh, the Roswell Japanese? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very similar to the Douglas Dietrich version of what happened as well. Okay. So, um... The section I wanted to start on was atmospheric and astronomical oddities, because these are always fascinating. And we jump back to, uh, let's see, well, 1786, a bright ball of fire and light accompanied a hurricane that struck England, which also seems weird to me. I mean, how many hurricanes hit England? Uh, On September 2nd, 1786, if it was ball lightning, it was unusually persistent, lasting a full 40 minutes. Oh, and I would think that's not completely out of the ordinary. Like it's out of the ordinary for ball lightning, but I wouldn't think it was impossible. Mm-hmm. 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 Right? Yeah, within the realm of possibility. We know so little about ball lightning. Like, do they even acknowledge? Does, does the science officially acknowledge ball lightning yet, or not? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's not that uh, long ago that they did acknowledge it. I mean, I guess we're talking about uh, maybe twenty, thirty years. Yeah, it's like one of those things that creeped in, kind of like red sprites and some of that other stuff, where you know people talked about it before scientists ever started you know, treating it seriously. And yeah. I, I don't know if there was ever a moment somebody officially like proved it existed more so than it just got you know seeped over more and more to where everybody just kind of accepted that it was uh, a natural phenomenon. Yeah, there were so many cases of it that it's impossible to just say okay. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So this one is after Sir William Herschel's observations of volcanoes on the moon in 1783 and 1787, a German astronomer named Johann uh, Schroeter saw something even stranger. 
1788, he noted to the east of the lunar Alps and their shadow, a bright point as brilliant as a fifth magnitude star, which disappears a- disappeared after he had watched it for 15 minutes. After the moon had turned, had turned enough to bring the sight into full sunlight, Schroeder saw a round shadow varying from gray to black where it had been. It has been proposed that Schroeder saw at first a mountain peak projecting above the shadow cast by the adjacent lunar Alps, and then a shadow cast by the mountain itself, but but as a selenographer esteemed enough to have another crater name for him in later years, would Schroeder have failed to make that identification himself? How could a steep mountain cast a round shadow under light from any direction? Mm, Yeah. I mean, moon anomalies are some of my favorites, as are Mars anomalies. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, uh, that could be, I mean, that's obviously anomalous. I don't think he mistook Mm it. Yeah, I mean, maybe there was some kind of like uh, object striking the moon, you know, some kind of small meteor. That's true. Yeah. Um, but to go on for 15 minutes seems like a long time for a meteor strike. Yeah, you know, I don't know how much. Obviously, a gravitational force on the moon is not high. The no. same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Something drifted slowly towards it, but I, I, I don't know. You know, that that's way beyond my uh, uh, scientific knowledge. <laughs> um and he said said something about volcanoes on the moon did i miss volcanoes on the moon here i do not see anything about volcanoes on the moon we we think of the moon as uh, some kind of like inert rock but yeah in fact the idea of, of volcanoes and and now even the idea of water you know that found on the moon uh, it's right. more uh, acknowledged. And it's something that is going to be very, very helpful in the near future uh, when finally we will have some kind of like uh, permanent establishment. Yeah. Um, an extraordinary fog astonished the colonists in Connecticut one morning in 1758. One of them wrote about sunrise at this place was a fog of so strange and extraordinary appearance that it filled us all with amazement. It came in great bodies like thick clouds down to the earth and in its way striking against the houses would break and fall down the sides in great bodies rolling over and over. Um, it resembled a thick stream rising from boiling wort, a plant, a plant used to ma- in making soap, and was attended with such heat that we could hardly breathe. When I first, oh, wow. When first I saw it, it really, I thought my house had been on fire. And ran out to see if it was so. But so many people thought that the world was on fire and that the last day had come. One of our neighbors was then at Sutton, 100 miles eastward, and reports that it was much the same there. What year was this? 1758. Yeah, I mean, the the only, the the sort of uh, mundane nature phenomena that I could think of that possibly could be that was like ash or something from, you know, volcanic if it's hot, mm. but, but this, still, this I mean, is the, in the, the Connecticut. way that it's behaving sounds nothing like that. Yeah, yeah and it's in yeah. Connecticut. It's not anywhere that we're <laughs> exactly. in Connecticut, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what a good do you point. mean? <laughs> Connecticut volcanoes? <laughs> yeah. The, the Connecticut, right. uh, instead of a super volcano, it's a wimpy volcano. Yeah, yeah. 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 The, the yeah. famous Connecticut caldera. <laughs> <laughs> <There you go. laughs> 
what's the fog? Who is the fog? Uh, the I'm, I'm completely being reductive here. The fog guy. Ah. I think both you and Adam had him on yes. recently. Yeah, we did. Oh, was that? Uh, uh, was it uh, Watson? Yes. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. He yeah. also, I believe, he also has a new book out that I have not uh, contacted him about yet. Because I'm many books behind, but yeah, the the his the, the episodes Josh and I did with him about the fog were very interesting. Yeah. But he doesn't have this account this account in there. So uh, so this one uh, a mirage of a walled town was seen at Young Hall, Ireland, in October 1796. Again, the following March and in June 1801, there appeared to be a mirage of an unknown city, mansions surrounded by shrubbery with a forest behind them. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> now, I know so that's interesting. Go ahead. No, it was, go ahead. I was going to say, it's interesting that, that, that it was recurring, uh, which makes it seem sort of like something that could be a natural phenomenon that's just refracted or something like that. You know, I, I love Feta Morgana anyway when we Feta hear these Morgana, kinds of yeah. things. So that's where my brain goes to. Mm hmm. I mean, there's also, you know, the legend of High Brazil. Yes. Uh, phantom mm -hmm. Island off the coast of Ireland uh, appears from time to time as even, you know, registered in some ancient maps. And another thing that I was thinking is that uh, as much as it pained me to, to, to give credence to Jeremy Corbell, but in his documentary of, his, of the Skinwalker Ranch, which I actually enjoyed and I would even recommend watching. Uh, there's this idea of uh, the cameras of the ranch recording some one time these almost like a mirage that looked like a like a city, like yes. the, yeah, some yeah, kind yeah. of city yeah. scene in the distance that was obviously uh, impossible because uh -huh. you know, this, this ranch is in the middle of uh, you know the country in Utah, right? And it, you know it it brings up the idea that on some occasions there is this like uh, portal or veil that reveals some sort of other dimension, you know, mm -hmm. dimensions that uh, where where you can see walled cities when when there should be just open country. Or you know skyscrapers where you could you should see only like desert or or, or prairies, yeah. so you know, that's something that uh, really really uh, intrigues me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and you, you got so much fey lore too in Ireland that makes uh, a, a lot of sense there too. To for sure, yeah. you know, speak to that. Mm. All right. So the next one that was interesting here was. Uh, Strange howling noises in the air and large Ooh. spots obscuring the sun were reported along with an earthquake at Palmero, uh, Pal Palmero, Palermo, Palermo, Italy, in April 18, <laughs> 1817. So, I mean, mm. okay, so howling noises and earthquake, maybe there's, there's some obvious connections there of maybe rocks scraping against rock in some way, but large spots mm. obscuring the sun, like, what's that? Yeah, like yeah that, that makes me think of uh, Fatima. That I mean, Red Pill, you bring yeah. that up a fair amount. Yeah, mm. uh, I wonder the howling noise is also obviously we don't have a, a strong description of it, but you know the 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 metal wrenching trumpet sound. Yeah, yeah, that's what it brought to uh, mind for me too. Yeah, it, that crossed my mind too when you mentioned. That. I was like, okay, that's interesting. Which were being heard I, everywhere for a while, and then just seemed to stop. 
I wonder yeah. how how the spots sort of like if they were you know uh, like an eclipse if it was slowly moving or if it was like there was a object or if it sort of appeared or if it was like exactly, a yeah. sunspot. I mean, not I'm, God, God forbid somebody's able to see a sunspot with their naked eye. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was eighth, eighteen seventeen is when it happened. So mm. I mean, mm. the equipment you know, was going to be very limited. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it makes me wonder, to your point, um, if you had some object passing between, you know, fairly close to us, that, uh, the, you know, maybe even gravitational forces, uh, you know, uh, causing some of those uh, uh, tremors and things like that. Mm. I don't know. And of course, I mean, during the, an, an, a volcanic eruption, there is such a, a, a dispersal of ash in the atmosphere that you, you pr- probably be able to see uh, the sun, um, you know, f- for at least for a few seconds uh, without uh, hurting your eyes because, you know, the, 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 the level of illumination right, uh, right. is uh, greatly decreased. Maybe you will be able to see uh, you know, sunspots will be. I mean, I'm speculating here, but maybe it's it will be a ma- tantamount to to putting some kind of like uh, you know lens yeah. on 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 your eyes in order to perceive uh, structures within the you know the, the solar uh, what do you call this the, the you know right the but atmosphere there, the, but the there corona. was no there was no volcano volcano. At this point, it was just an earthquake. Oh, oh, okay. So it's just an earthquake. Okay. So, but maybe you know, maybe you know, maybe the, the volcanic eruption will cause you know earthquakes and will cause you know uh, hurling of rocks. That maybe that will account for for uh, those uh, screeching noises. I yeah. Don't know. Yeah. So this one's really interesting. Uh, what seemed to be an unknown planet was seen crossing the sun's disk by German astronomer Stark German astronomer Stark in Augsburg on October 9th, 1819. He observed the same thing again on February 12th, 1820. The second appearance was described as a singular and well-defined circular spot with indications of an atmosphere which was not visible in the evening of the same day as any planet with an orbit inside the Earth's should have been. That's interesting. Yeah, I think I remember reading about that. This guy was totally ridiculed by the scientific community, and there, I think there are even uh, cartoons about it showing him with a dunes hat, uh, looking through a telescope and all that. Uh, I don't know, maybe, I mean, now that we are in, in 2022, and there's this modern speculation about Oumuamua, Right. Maybe this guy looks some looked at some kind of like a rogue uh, interstellar object traversing through our solar system. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking too. Or, I mean, or, remember the uh, what was it? Uh, I forget the name of the of it. Uh, was it Tabby's star or something? This was from a few years ago. There mm-hmm. was the particular star that I think it was maybe uh, an astronomer in New Zealand. She she found that had something that was orbiting around it that was at such regular intervals that people were, you know, making Dyson sphere speculations. It was a thing for a little while. Yeah, but then, it was the, diminishing its uh, its uh, brilliance. Right. Yeah. It was diminishing yeah. its yeah. brilliance yeah. at certain, you know, uh, regular intervals. Um, exactly. Yeah. But this makes me think of that, too. Yeah, uh, which it certainly could be some sort of meteor 
or Comet, or I'm actually probably have to be bigger than that, but some sort of foreign body going well, through like a Momo. Yeah. And we know yeah. there are rogue planets out there. Right. We do. Yeah. They, they have said that they right. found rogue planets not attached to any star systems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, this next one, one of the most widespread, quote, dark days of history came to Eastern Canada, New England on November 10th, 1819. There had been a heavy soap-like rain on November 8th, which left behind a sooty residue. Then, in Montreal, on the morning of Tuesday the 10th, heavy clouds again covered the sky and changed rapidly from a deep green to a pitchy black, and the sun, when occasionally seen through them, was something of a dark brown or an unearthly yellow color, and again bright orange or even blood red. The day became almost dark as night, the gloom increasing and diminishing almost fitfully. At noon, lights had to be burned in the courthouse, the bank, the public offices of the city. Every, everybody was more or less alarmed. About the middle of the afternoon, a great body of clouds seemed to rush suddenly over the city, and the darkness became that of night. A pause and a hush for a moment or two succeeded, and then one of the most glaring flashes of lightning ever beheld flamed over the country, accompanied by a clap of thunder which seemed to shake the city to its foundations. And then came a light shower of rain of the same soapy and sooty nature as that of two days before. Another rush of clouds came and another vivid flash of lightning, which was then seemed to strike the spire of the old French parish church and play curiously about the large iron cross at its summit before descending to the ground. A moment later came the climax of the day. Every bell in the city suddenly rang out the alarm of fire and the affrighted citizens rushed out of their houses into the streets. Directly, the great iron cross together with the ball at its foot, fell to the ground with a crash and was shivered to pieces. The real night came on and the next morning dawned. Everything was bright and clear and the world was as natural as before. Um, the rain's strange texture suggests a distant volcanic eruption or forest fire, the usual explanation for dark days, but the accompanying electrical storm hints at something more than just smoke. Meteorologists do not yet know how much the effects of such rarely occurring clouds of smoke and ash upon the weather. I saw something recently that was interesting uh, that was, um, and I, I, I honestly saw this like scrolling through Reddit or something brainless like that, uh, but it was... Um, a ash cloud coming from some sort of volcano, dormant volcano, and there was all this crazy electrical uh, activity, essentially lightning happening oh, yeah. in yeah, it yeah, yeah. because of the particles. Um, you know, uh, uh, a phenomenon where the particles are are uh, rubbing up against each other. Now, this made me think of that a little bit. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you know, and you get uh, reports of church bells ringing from. Uh, before earthquakes hit and things like that too so if you had uh some serious volcanic activity that could be happening true true but th th it doesn't seem like there was any reports of uh volcanic activity at the time mm, right yeah i wonder what happens if we google it now let's see that was on uh november 10th that's true because if this is reader's digest it's quite possible that they were you know if this is from what 1980 something yeah 1980 yeah. something and then i mean mm. this is quoted from an article from the scientific american of 1881 okay so, that's a reputable source so september 10th 1819 
Dark Day. I'm sure there's an article about it somewhere. Okay, there's a Wikipedia article. So we know that's going to be as dismissive as possible. Um, The primary cause of the event is believed to have been a combination of smoke from forest fires, a thick fog, and cloud cover. Mm. Sure. Okay. Forest fires. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder, though, if one could correlate... If they really did want to look at this point, because it doesn't seem like Wikipedia really did any research, no, no surprise. Um, th- if there were natural phenomena that you know uh, were happening around there, that now that we have you know much greater access to information and perhaps meteorological information, it says the like. I mean, I remember the photographs from Australia uh, a couple of years ago when they had yeah. those horrible forest fires. Uh, in at the beginning of that year, I think I'm talking 2020 or something like that. Yeah, and they look totally, you know, apocalyptic. You know, the yeah. sky's totally, yeah. you know, in a deep orange. And oh, you couldn't yeah. see like beyond like uh, 20, 30 feet. Uh, so yeah, maybe that uh, with you know, obviously. Uh, aggrandization and, and exaggeration produced by the passage of the years you know maybe you know maybe that something like that something like a, a nasty forest fire could account for some of the things in this uh, account so it says um a researchers examining tree rings and fire scars and trees in the area that is today occupied by the aliquin Provincial Park in Ontario, Canada, see evidence of a fire in 1780 and attribute the dark day to that. But it couldn't have just been the fire. I mean, that, that right. you know, like something else the, was the happening church, along with yeah, it. They built churches and all that. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's certainly, almost certainly going to be part of the factor, but something else happened there that we don't understand. Right. Yeah. Um. There's a lot of mysterious booms, but mysterious booms are not actually that weird. I mean, they are, um, but they're not that uncommon. Yeah. Um, at Forest Hills, Arkansas, the sky was clear on December 8, 1847. Then, in mid-afternoon, turbulent clouds formed suddenly, appearing like a solid black fleece lighted from above by a red glare as of many torches. A loud explosion shook houses and rang the bell of the church, and a barrel-sized flaming body crashed into the earth just outside of town, making a hole eight feet deep and more than two feet in diameter. The rock that was found at the bottom of the hole smelled of sulfur and was hot enough to boil away water thrown on it. Inside of 20 minutes, the sky cleared and the sun shone again. Was the phenomenon at Forest Hill a meteorite impact? If so, there is no plausible explanation for the clouds beforehand. A meteorite passes through the entire atmosphere within a few seconds and cannot affect the air over its impact zone while it still scores or hundreds of, while it is well it still scores or hundreds of miles away. That feels like it's not written right. Is it possible the lightning fused the soil into a solid mass at the bottom of the hole, such a stone known as fulgurite? is not uncommon but barrel sized chunks of it are unheard of yeah well i mean hopefully everybody who's around got superpowers but <laughs> yeah right <laughs> i mean you, you could just have like a the fact that there happened to be like a um, you know flash storm that came in <laughs> just coincidentally i suppose true but it's uh, still a very unusual are- one regardless yeah yeah for sure for sure um uh, 
Okay, so this one is another planet. A planet closer to the sun than Mercury was observed on March 26, 1859 by a French country doctor, an amateur astronomer named Lescarbault. He watched it begin its transit across the sun's disk and after an interruption to attend a patient, finished timing the transit and chalked his observations on a pine board. Lescarbault's evidence was good enough to convince Urbane John Joseph Le Vavier, the most illustrious astronomer in France, of his existence. Le Verrier proposed that the gravitational pull of Vulcan would explain the advance of Mercury's perihelion, its closest point to the sun, observed to be 43 inches every 100 years. Unfortunately, the planet, also called Vulcan, has never been proved to exist, and today most astronomers think that the country doctor and hundreds of others over the years were somehow mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a, they have a whole uh, little cutout here for Vulcan called the Once and Future Planet. Prehistoric yeah. sky watchers noticed that five bright points of light did not move within the wheeling of the fixed stars. These planets, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, were woven into astrology and legend. Around A.D. 1600, the Earth itself became recognized as another member of the Sun's family. Sir William Herschel discovered Uranus in 1781. In the 1840s, Urbane Verrier and John Couch Adams independently analyzed small irregularities in Uranus's orbit, which led to the discovery of Neptune. Then 84 years later, a similar uh, study of Uranus and Neptune pointed the way to frigid Pluto, the outermost known planet. Along the way, however, a tenth planet had made a brief appearance. The existence of Vulcan, a small planet supposedly orbiting even closer to the sun than Mercury, was affirmed in 1859 by no less an authority than Verrier. His suspicion had been aroused by Mercury's tiny deviation from its predicted path. Combing mm-hmm. the records, he found many reports of a small black disk seen fleetingly against the sun. From these reports, mm. Le Verrier selected the most consistent and computed that Vulcan must orbit about 13 million miles from the sun with a full year of only 20 Earth days. It was clear that further observations of Vulcan would require both luck and skill. Much of the time, it would appear, appear lost in the sun's glare. Only during solar eclipses and during its periodic transits of the sun, when it could be easily mistaken for a sunspot, would let it stand out. Le Verrier predicted that the best viewing date would be March 22, 1877. In the years that followed, further scattered reports were published, and some textbooks added Vulcan to the list of planets. Thus, it was discouraging when not one of the many astronomers poised to observe it in 1877 was able to find Vulcan. But hopes rose again the following year when two American astronomers observing an eclipse from separate sites in Wyoming and Colorado spotted something that was not a known star very near the sun. A writer in Popular Science said, The interesting observations of Professor Watson and Mr. Smith will not only stimulate astronomers to renewed search for the planet, so fortunately detected, but must also lead to a more thorough examination of the space within Mercury's orbit. It is not improbable that the detection of Vulcan may be merely the first in a series of similar discoveries. Alas for optimism, the Watson and Swift's observations were not repeated, and other astronomers having been burned out or being burned often enough to be shy, indeed, of any alleged Vulcan question the accuracy of the American sightings. So I would think if there was anything there now, we would see it with all the sun-based telescopes that we'd have. Right, of course, for sure. But it does make me think about the fact that, you know, 
<laughs> even though I know that everybody thinks we know everything, uh, not everybody, but there are a lot of people who think that, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the efficacy of the scientific method, which is absolutely is effective, has somehow, you know, allowed us to really know everything. And um, while, you know, I, I know that there probably are more people than not that uh, have some humility and understand that we don't, particularly those who really are in the sciences, I think there are a lot of folks that there's sort of like an underlying assumption that, uh, you know, everything is assumed and that we know enough that there are some sort of like concrete things that we can say are certain and true. And I think it's pretty hard besides the fact that, you know, um, we're probably going to be breathing tomorrow. Uh, you know, our, our own <laughs> breath. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's hard. I mean, you know, because there are huge jumps and things like that, like the idea of a planet named Vulcan. I mean, you know, try going you know, and talking about that uh, right now, you right, know, presenting right. a paper on that. Yeah. yeah. But again, that's also, we have these these very powerful sun space, you know, telescopes right. where we can look directly at the sun. If there was something else crossing it, I think we would probably be able to see it with the detail right. that we could actually get. But it doesn't mean there wasn't a planet there at one point that maybe got sucked into the sun. At sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we like to think that our solar system is, you know, pretty stable and quiet, right? But, but we don't exactly know that for sure. Going back to Chris's point, um, you know, we, we've got asteroid belts and things like that that, you know, you could speculate on why they're there, uh, opposite of conventional uh, narratives on it, but. Uh, you know, you could even have something that was came into orbit around the sun for a while. That was a rogue planet, and then kept going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, got slingshotted out. You know, regardless of the, the you know existence of these rogue planet Vulcan or not, uh, I cannot help but feel uh, a deep sense of uh, nostalgia and admiration for that time uh, that uh, age in the in the 19th century when people were so excited yeah. with the idea of discovery and you know scientific advancement uh, yeah. at the you know at the cusp of the industrial revolution that they were so eager to participate you know in 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 the in the discoveries of science that people say hey anyone can make these discoveries that you don't need a phd from harvard or whatever to also try to find your own planet you know there was this country doctor who was uh an amateur astronomer who wanted to dig in and and and, and be part of these uh revolution in human understanding and it's hard not to feel certain uh disappointment that you don't i don't i don't feel th that that is happening anymore nowadays like uh like you say well you know whatever it is that it's out there they will tell us because they have the big telescopes in the sky or whatever why should i bother to try to you know, find another planet and it's kind of sad you know that that there is not uh, the idea of the inventor tinkerer that is working in his basement trying to find the next big invention uh, that is like the next Edison or the next Tesla. I guess there are people like that, but uh, 
mostly in things that are like uh, computers. They're uh, mining crypto, making it. Yeah, they're not, and it's not the <laughs> yeah. same, right? It's not the same. I mean, it's 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 something that you know Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are are learning the hard way. Yeah, it's not the same that is making advance advancements in the quote unquote safety of. Uh, cybernetics and computer technologies than it is to try to build a freaking rocket because the freaking rocket will blow up you know if you if you don't take uh, everything into account and 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 that is the the thing that i feel it's lacking nowadays you know that sense of uh, adventure that sense of discovery that sense of like uh you know, people trying to to be pioneers in something. You know, I feel there's uh, all this uh, stagnation that is so different from what's happening. What was happening back a hundred years ago? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's really funny because of all of the uh, sort of technological advances that we've made. Instead of this being, you know, I think the futuristic utopia that was in many ways envisioned. It's uh, it's uh, become very much. There's a disenchantment with uh, sort of the wonder and exploration of the world. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So this next one's kind of frightening. A superheated whirlwind passed through Chatham County, Tennessee, one summer day in 1869. On the farm of Ed Sharp, five miles from Ashland, a sort of whirlwind came al- came along over the neighboring woods, taking up small branches and leaves of trees and burning them in a sort of flaming cylinder that traveled at the rate of about five miles an hour, developing size as it traveled. It passed directly over the spot where a team of horses were feeding and singed their manes and tails up to the roots and then swept toward the house, taking a stack of hay in its course. It seemed to increase in heat as it went, and by the time it reached the house, it immediately fried the shingles from the end from end to end of the building, so that in ten minutes the whole dwelling was wrapped in flames. The tall column of traveling caloric, the chemical substance of fire, according to a theory already outmoded in 1869, then continued its course over a wheat field that had been recently cradled, setting fire to all the stacks that happened to be in its course. Passing from the field, its path lay over a stretch of wood which uh, reached through the river. The green leaves on the trees were crisped to a cinder uh, for a breadth of 20 yards, yards in a straight line to the Cumberland. When the pillar of fire reached the water, it suddenly changed its route down the river, raising a column of steam which went up to the clouds for about half a mile. When it finally died out, uh, not less than 200 people witnessed the strangest of strange phenomena, and all of them tell substantially the same story about it. The farmer, Sharp, was left houseless by the devouring element, and his two horses were so affected that no good is expected to be gotten out of them in the future. Several withered trees in the woods through which it passed were set on fire and continue burning still. Uh, this phenomenon combines the most peculiar aspects of whirlwinds, their self-contained nature, apparently unconnected to clouds and large-scale weather, and of tornadoes, which are often accompanied by a variety of odd electrical charges uh, or discharges. It is worth noting that to set fire to straw and shingles, heated air alone, assuming no electrical sparks, would have to be at 400 degrees Fahrenheit or more. Hmm. That, that, Plas- is not, that is not... Plasma so- or a gin... <laughs> that is not something I, mean, I want to experience. No, we know sir. that fire tornado, 
tornadoes are a thing. You know, the firestorms are cold. Uh, and this is something that, you know, you, you can find videos of yeah. that yes. yeah. in YouTube if you if you search, you know, fire tornado or firestorm. And this is something that actually uh, the late Dr. James McDonald, you know, the guy who is uh, in the pantheon of ufology, uh, was very interested in, 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 and it is one of the reasons why we chose to, to, to for me to include, to add a fire tornado in the car that is devoted to James McDonald within uh -huh. our ufology tarot yeah. project. If, if you look closely, you know, uh, uh, at the picture, there is uh, a fire tornado behind him, you know, going from the upper left of the of the image of the of the card to the lower right so we know fire tornadoes exist but do they exist independent of like forest fires and stuff well we don't know what caused the you know the fire tornado maybe, maybe it was uh something independent of a forest fire uh you know maybe what there was maybe there was a burning house or maybe there was another source of heat that happened to coincide with uh you know the, uh, a wind vortex that produced the fire, the, the fire tornado. Hmm. I mean, tornadoes are, are bad enough without needing to be on fire. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah, right. Uh, changing patterns of light appeared in the lunar crater Plato from the late 1860s through 1871. Reputable selenologists saw them enough to assign them numbers and chart their dimming and brightening. More than 1,600 such observations were collected by Scientologist W.R. Burt and deposited in the library of the Loyal Royal Ast Astronomical Association. So that's that's more of the lunar lights that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that it happened for yeah. the, that period of time, too. It was a few years. Yeah, yeah, 1860s through 71, so probably about a decade. Huh. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't remember uh, someone recording some of those uh, lunar lights in recent history. No, I don't either. Yeah, and you would think that with the, uh, uh, I mean, you can get some pretty powerful telescopes at this point, home telescopes. Yeah, and do digital imaging. Yeah, and and there's no reason to think that uh, that these people are wrong about their observations. That's the thing. I mean, that that was a bunch of people seeing those lights. Right. Exactly. And so is it a natural lunar phenomena or is it maybe something else? Yeah, who knows? I mean, we know that uh, there is a vast deposits of what they call helium-3 yeah. on yep. the moon, and which is it is one of the main reasons why, you know, superpowers are so eager to go back to the moon and, and claim uh, a piece of uh, yeah. of property, you know, mm -hmm. put right. the little yeah. flags there because there it might be the thing that solves uh, the world uh, energy crisis. You know, having uh, you know nuclear reactors on the moon that beam down energy uh, to the earth through some kind of like microwave rays or something. Yeah. Uh, maybe those uh, deposits of helium-3 are responsible for the lunar uh, light phenomena that was registered in, in, in decades or centuries past. But again, why is it that we, we don't record them anymore? You know? yeah. <laughs> um, what may have been ball lightning appeared to a woman in Remahan, England, on a cold day in 1871, 
The wallpaper and furniture of the room were suddenly flashed with rose color, which gradually deepened into crimson, passing through bright gold into orange, lilac, and deep violet. She looked out the window and saw, quote, air bubbles a few inches in diameter rising from the level snow outside. They took on the same hues seen inside and bobbed up and down before a breeze blew them away only to be replaced by another group. There were no apparent sparks or electrical odors. <laughs> wow. I don't I don't know if that counts as ball lightning. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. Bubble lightning. <laughs> Bubble lightning. There you go. Yeah, we will call them orbs today. Yeah, that's that's where my brain was going to, uh, Red Pill. Um I, I like that it got blown around. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh so this one, similar bubbles were observed in a very different in very different weather. At Ringstead Bay, England, in August 1876, a mother and daughter were walking near a seaside cliff on a hot, sultry afternoon marked by sheet lightning but no thunder. Over the crest of the ground, surrounding them on all sides and extending from a few inches above the surface to two to three feet overhead, numerous globes of light the size of billiard balls were moving independently and vertically up and down, sometimes within a few inches of the observers, but always eluding their grasp, now gliding slowly upwards two or three feet and as slowly falling again, resembling in their movement soap bubbles floating in the air. The balls were all aglow. The numbers will continually fluctuate fluctuating at one time thousands of them appear, apparently enveloped the observers and a few minutes afterwards the numbers would dwindle, dwindle to perhaps as few as 20 but soon they would be swarming again as numerous as ever not the slightest noise accompanied this display the ladies sauntered up to the quarry and down again several times along the cliff viewing the phenomena for upwards of an hour about 10 p.m a severe thunderstorm attended with torrents of rain came up from the sea does any of that sound similar to uh the the lights experience that you had soraya and you know a little a little a little bit a little bit there wasn't this seems like there was a lot more covering a a much wider area but that's as i'm reading that i'm like i've seen little lights floating around me and interacting with me but right you know two of us saw it and one didn't so it's it wasn't clearly a very uh right a, a super physical Phenomena. I don't know how to how to define that exactly. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, and maybe these two people were the only two people who could have seen it. Maybe if someone else was there, no, they wouldn't have seen it. Who knows? Right. Yeah. Unless yeah. it says that there were, you know, multiple eyewitnesses or the town all saw it. It could very well be that it's one or two people that are experiencing some of these. I mean, back in the 90s, uh, Jaime Maussan used to show these uh, videos recorded by people in, I don't know, Puebla or some other states in Mexico, where we will see dozens of lights in the sky, like uh, uh, like a swarm of fireflies. Man. But, all, but although these uh, lights remained uh, static, mm-hmm. you know, and, and obviously, you know, some say, oh, you see, you know, a whole fleet of flight of, of UFOs. But maybe if, if there was something akin to, to, to these accounts, you know, maybe there's some kind of like uh, light phenomena uh, light bubbles that uh, you know, <laughs> s- stay in the sky and, and like you say, you know, maybe maybe sometimes they can be recorded. What if you have like a plasma bubble? That's a good question. I mean, uh, a very interesting question. Plasma bubble, yeah. Hmm. So the next one, I looked this one up right off the bat, uh, the Yellow Day that came to New England and New York State on September 6, 1881. 
has been ascribed, like many other such phenomena, to a prairie fire or forest fire in the far west. It's smoke at high altitude being concentrated by local atmospheric eddies. Uh, and it says here, be that as it may, no specific fire has been associated with the Yellow Day. But now, if you look at Wikipedia, it says the Thumb Fire took place on September 5th, 1881 in the Thumb area of Michigan yeah. in the United States. The fire, which burned over a million acres in less than a day, was the consequence of drought, hurricane force winds, heat, and the after effects of the Port Huron Fire of 1871, right. and the ecological damage wrought by the area's logging techniques. The blaze, also called the Great Thumb Fire, the Great Forest Fire of 1881, and the Huron Fire, killed 282 people. And uh, mm. the damage estimate was $2,347,000. In 1881, equivalent to that, uh, $65 million when adjusted for inflation. The fire sent enough soot and ash up into the atmosphere that sunlight was partially obscured at many locations on the east coast of the U.S. In New England cities, the sky appeared yellow and projected a strange luminosity onto buildings of vegetation. Twilight appeared at 12 noon. Um, September 6, 1881 became known as Yellow Tuesday or Yellow Day because of the ominous nature of the atmospheric event. Mm. Mm. So that one seems like a pretty solid explanation. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so, yeah. Um, on the night of July 3rd, 1882, the moon was almost full. About 45 minutes after moonrise, several residents of Lebanon, Connecticut, why are all these in the Northeast? What do, uh, noticed a strange spectacle. Two pyramidical luminous protuberances appeared on the moon's upper limb. They were not large, but they gave the moon a look strikingly like that of a horned owl or the head of an English bull terrier. These points were a little darker than the rest of the moon's face. They slowly faded away after a few moments, um, one on the right, south, right and southeasterly quarter disappearing first. About three minutes after their disappearance, two black triangular notches were seen on the lower edge of the moon. These points oh. gradually moved toward each other along the moon's edge and seemed to be cutting off or obliterating nearly a quarter of its surface until they finally met when the moon's face instantly assumed its normal appearance. When the notches were nearing each other, part of the moon that was seen between them was in the form of a dove's tail. A I, dove's tail. I have <laughs> no idea what that one is all about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pass that one. That's, that's just bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> that's just, huh? <laughs> I love it, but yeah, totally. Yeah. Exactly. I, I don't think it was a forest fire. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. no. <laughs> that um, was ergot <laughs> in the breath. Uh, four people on an avenue in Davidson's Mains, a suburb of Endabot, uh, Edinburgh, Scotland, had an unclassifiable experience on the evening of July 23rd, 1885. I love unclassifiable experiences, honestly. Uh, we mm. saw a feebly luminous flash appear on the ground at a distance of some 30 yards down the avenue. It rushed towards us with a wave-like motion at a rate which I estimate to be 30 miles an hour and seemed to envelop us for an instant. My left hand, which was hanging by my side, experienced precisely the same sensation as I have felt in receiving a shock from a weak galvanic battery. About three minutes afterwards, we heard a peal of thunder. Another of the party says he observed what seems to be a luminous cloud running up the avenue with a wavy motion. 
When it reached the party, it rose off the ground, passed over the bodies of two of them, casting a sort of flash on their shoulders. The gardener saw a flash of lightning in the direction of the luminous cloud, but sideways, also that the top of the cloud seemed to be three or four feet from the ground, and then it gradually rose higher as it came along. When the cloud reached the party, he saw one of them distinctly by its light. That was published in Nature in 1885. Wow. 85, huh? So that's, uh, yeah, I don't know what to call that. I've never heard a story like that before. Oh, no, that's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, hmm, we should probably Google this one, too. I'll let one of you Google this one. No forest fire can be blamed for whatever happened in Oshkosh, Wisconsin on May 19th, 1886. At 3 p.m. on a cloudy day, midnight darkness settled down over a five-minute period. It was startling enough to disturb horses and send people rushing through the streets. After 10 minutes, it was gone. According to the local paper, cities to the west say the same phenomenon was observed there in advance of its appearance here, showing that the wave of darkness passed west to east. Nothing could be seen to indicate any air currents overhead, and there was no solar eclipse on that date. I don't know how to look that up necessarily. Maybe March 1886. March 19th, 1886. Um, yeah. Darkness, maybe? 10 minutes? Uh, was it Oshkosh, they yeah. said? Oshkosh, yeah. Wisconsin. So if you, uh, the Northwestern, which looks to be like a, a, a local paper of some kind, has uh, a little article called Odd Oshkosh, the city's quirky history includes frog dealers, bathtub races, some other stuff like that. But the first thing it actually talks about is um, a non-electrical blackout sweeping over the city at 3 p.m. that day in March 19, yeah. 1886. That's it. That's it. Yeah. No explanation? Uh, no, they're, they're just recounting what the article said. It looks like began to grow dark very rapidly in the space of less than five minutes. Hmm. Uh, so it had become obscured and that within doors it was almost dark as night, while the outside was much the same effect as a heavy thunder shower. Interesting. Yeah. And cool, yeah. That, cool, oh. cool that they celebrate it. Yeah. Did you, uh, uh, did you mention the part that it... Uh, the same phenomenon happened in Berlin and Eureka around the same time? Uh, it's, it's said to the West that, that certain places experienced it. Okay, okay. And it seemed to be moving from that direction. Yeah, it says, Witnesses claimed it to be a dense black cloud or mist that had encroached from the West. And then it, this article lists uh, over Berlin and Eureka. Uh, no readily available explanations for the event. And then just... You know, they had theories they threw out and things like that, but that's all. There's no contemporary follow-up to say what they thought it might be. It does say, though, that the witnesses remained adamant that it was an abnormal weather event that had never been encountered before there and that it was not merely clouds obscuring the sunlight, hmm. which, you know, if a lot of people are saying that, I, I got to try to believe them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, is in, you know what weather looks like in your own, yes. um, yeah. you know. For the most part. I mean, I know there are anomalous clouds that, you know, look crazy, but oftentimes they still look like clouds. <laughs> hmm. um, an apparent dust storm or cloud on Mars was observed in late May 1903, both by W.F. Denning in England and Percival Lowell in Arizona. Interestingly, although Lowell's many straight Martian canals eventually proved to be an illusion, his observations of transient changes in the planet's color are amongst the best of their time. Where the, you know, and I and I wonder about that. How you how did he observe canals that aren't there? Like, did mm-hmm. he observe something that then changed? 
was he just wrong? Are these yeah. the lava tubes that people were talking? You know that that hole, which is essentially like these are just they're you know um, structures, they're geologic structures, right? That were just you know people were misinterpreting them because of their seeing them through less than detailed telescopes, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that one explanation is that uh, somehow he was perceiving the blood vessels of his own cornea. Right, yes, I had heard that before, yeah. But the thing is that he wasn't the only one, like, like the first one who uh, alluded to the existence of these uh, elements, well, I mean... I think this is uh, the idea that it was a, a, a misunderstanding with the translation. It was that this Italian scientist uh, Schiaparelli, or Schiaparelli, yes, I don't know right. how to pronounce it, yep. uh, wrote about the existence of canali on the surface of Mars, and somehow uh, canals was, uh, you know, channels was translated to English into into canals. You know, canals as the idea that it is something that is not naturally occurring, that it is some artificially made. So that's how Percival Lowell came up with the idea of that there is this canals on Mars. Hmm. Yes, that is like that the art the the like nineteenth and twentieth century. That's absolutely I totally remember that. Yeah. A brief and inexplicable darkness fell on Wimbledon, England one day in on nineteen oh four. It continued for ten minutes. There was no sign of rain clouds or any abnormal amount of smoke. Uh, A beach burst into flames at Kittery Point, Maine on September 1st, 1905. The guests at the Hotel Parkfield were startled by the appearance of flames rising from the beach and from the surface of the water, an event of so remarkable and unusual a character as to excite great curiosity and some alarm. The conflagration occurred between 7 and 8 o'clock in the evening and lasted for upwards to 45 minutes. The flames were about one foot in height, and they were accompanied by a loud and continuous crackling noise, which could be distinctly heard 100 miles away. While at the same time, there was a strong liberation of sulfurous acidic fumes, which uh, penetrated the hotel, drove the proprietor and his staff from the office, and filled the other rooms to such an extent as to cause great inconvenience to the guests. One guest of an investigating turn of mind secured some of the sand in his hand, but was obliged to drop it on account of the heat. When some of the sand was taken into the hotel and stirred in water, bubbles of gas were liberated and produced flame as they broke the surface in contact with the air. Uh, D.P. Pennenhow examined the beach and concluded that a layer of buried seaweed had fermented, creating Mm -hmm. pockets of carbureted and phosphorated hydrogen and other gases. His explanation Hmm. is so plausible that one can only wonder why blazing beaches are not a common seaside attraction. Hmm. I mean, it does make sense, but why has it only happened there? Must have just Mm -hmm. been the perfect conditions. I feel like you don't get many reports of these things happening nowadays. Huh? No. No, yeah, you really don't. Uh, Days of darkness and things like that. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, the closest thing I can think of is the Havana syndrome, and that's a whole other. Yeah, well, it's turned into a whole other ball of wax. Yeah, probably yeah. is too. Um, a transient shadow on the moon was observed by Doctor F. B. Harris on January twenty seventh, nineteen twelve, about ten thirty Eastern time. I was surprised to see the left cusp showing the presence of an intensely black body, about two hundred and fifty miles long and fifty miles wide allowing 2,000 miles from tip of cusp to cusp. The appearance was fully as black 
comparatively as marks on this paper and in the shape like a crow poised of course dark places are here and there on the lunar surface but not like this not to be tedious i will say that every effort was made to eliminate any error of vision or other mistake the moon is very tricky and it is very unlikely that anything of this character will be seen in many hundreds of years or uh, many years or hundreds of years even i cannot but think that it's a very interesting and curious phenomena happened We'll put that in the same category as the triangles and stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of reminds me of that uh, famous video of uh, the Phobos 2 uh, Soviet probe that mm -hmm. showed some kind of like uh, elongated shadow on the surface of the Martian moon oh, before yeah. the, the probe uh, lost contact with Earth, and which, which has recent you know, raised a lot of speculation about what happened, you know, from people say, well, you know, obviously there, there was some kind of like uh, alien probe that snatched the human probe before we learn more about the alien's, uh, you know, presence on, 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 on Mars to, you know, just people not really talking about it, you know, yeah. saying, oh, well, we, we lost the probe the same way that, uh, other uh, missions to Mars have failed. Right. Let's, let's take a quick break and we'll finish up the show after this. I want to take a moment here and thank all of my Patreons for making Where Did the Road Go What It Is. I want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, CJ, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Christine, a blue second-gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain. Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy Incommunicable, Lauren McLean, Chris Ernst, Greg Parmenter, Crystal Ann Compton, Diane B., Edu Camahort, MTK, Eric Citron, Varosh K., Eric Todd, Jim Pyre, Joanna Rojas, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Anne Witowski, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Linz Jackson K., Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Patricia W., Paul Jeffries, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Roger Gonzalez, Ron Dupre, Sam Sheeran, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Stephen D., and Amber Hall. Thank you all so very, very much. We live our entire lives knowing that death awaits us. Many believe that some part of us endures. Eyewitnesses swear to have seen spirits of the dead haunting the living and even appearing during alien abductions. Is the UFO mystery reaching out to us from beyond the stars or from beyond the grave? This staggering implication demands not only scrutiny of the UFO phenomenon, but near-death experiences, ancient monuments, ley lines, the fey folk, cryptids, and more. I'm Joshua Cutchen. I'd like to invite you into the Ecology of Souls, a new mythology of death and the paranormal a comprehensive theory of all things supernatural framed through the lens of our final transition. Join me as we journey from the depths of prehistory to the present, from the outer space of the cosmos to the inner space of the self, 
Ecology of Souls, Volumes 1 and 2, now available from Amazon in print and as a combined ebook. Welcome to the Ecology of Souls. So we were t- we're talking here. Uh, we're covering stories from mysteries of the unexplained. I'm with Red Pill Junkie and Christopher Ernst and Super Inframan, and we were just talking about the probe, the Russian probe that disappeared on the way to Phobos, or that was uh, no, what was, it was it was on the way to to move around Mars. Was it the Phobos probe? Phobos two probe. Phobos two yeah. probe. Yeah. Yes, and yeah, those those pictures are hard to deny because yeah you got the shadow of something on mars and then you have a light and then the light seems to change direction and move into the probe itself and then there's nothing and i believe Mm -hmm. when it happened the russians said something like a ufo knocked our knocked our probe out yeah you know there was uh this russian cosmonaut uh i forget her name the first, uh, the first woman to went, who went to space, uh, Valentina Purishkova or something like that, was very vocal about uh, this incident and was very candid in her, in her uh, support to the idea that, yeah, uh, the, the, the Soviet probe was knocked out by an alien probe. Uh, but, uh, what's, interesting is, what's interesting is that, uh, number one, uh, the Soviets didn't mind her talking about it. Maybe that's because uh, it was the times of uh, Glasnost, you know, Perestroika, and the new openness between the East and the West. Uh, and number two, that uh, you know, nothing came about it. You know, so the, some mm-hmm. those stories like the Voronezh incident that people just simply decided to forget. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, there's not really much we can do to figure out what happened beyond those couple of photographs, though. Yeah, exactly. Unless they find the probe on the ground, you know, somewhere on Mars, and then maybe, you know, they would or wouldn't tell us about it. Or there were more photos than the ones that uh, they showed. That's also a possibility, yeah. I think that's usually the case. (laughs) That's the point. Yeah, I mean, it was 89. Um, that's interesting because I, I think had that been earlier, you know, uh, Valentina advocating for uh, something, you know, taking it out, essentially, uh, we would have written that off as like, well, they just don't want to say that it failed. <laughs> right, you know? right, yeah. Um, right. But yeah, you know, I, to Red Pill's point, that was a, an interesting time because, uh, I guess, let's see, when did the Soviet Union fall? Was it right before that? After that, I guess. After that, okay, okay. But the the cooperation and things like that were going on, so I, I don't know. It's interesting how it just kind of came and went. I hadn't thought about that, actually. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's definitely weirdness with things going to Mars. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a hard trip to make. It's not surprising that some of these fail, mm-hmm. but, but those photos are weird, and they're not explained. No, no. No. You know... Uh, I don't know. I, I get fascinated by you know, we're talking about um, uh, rivers and things, canals on on the moon and Mars and what have you. The the perceptions we had of these planets before we sent probes to them, or before we had you know uh, strong telescopes or or any other ways to view them. I, you know, there was speculation of all kinds of life on Mars and things like that. 
Yeah. And uh, I, I always kind of wonder if they were, I don't know, either we were picking up on something or I, I, I don't know. Just I wonder if there was more to that in a way, but maybe we were witnessing a different time or something. I don't know. Mm. Ghosts well, Nikola Mars. Tesla was so sure that he was picking up uh, signals from Mars, you know, and, and he used to talk about it uh, uh, in the news. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's right. Right. And some people, uh, you know, I think the the general sort of dismissive speculation is that uh, he was uh, picking up like uh gamma ray bursts or something like that mm-hmm. yeah yeah maybe he was i mean Te- tesla was so far ahead of his time it's frightening right well he was yeah he was saying that it was uh a, some sort of you know consciousness or you know sentient species and, yeah uh, i mean it could be that fast radio bursts are but, you know we don't we still don't know what they are yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we kind of dismiss or assume we that are just natural that we really can't explain right. But yes, you're right. Tesla was super, he was, you know, he re, he truly was ahead of his time and very much taken advantage of. And there is some serious sketchiness in terms of all of his stuff being essentially taken by the, uh, uh, the government, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And there's even this idea that, uh, the Trump family was involved with that. Oh, that's yeah, right. Was it his uncle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, he, he ended up with his notes, I believe, or, or supposedly he was the one that took them. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and it was Frank, right? Frank Trump. I think right. I think so. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, that's interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, he, I know, un- he understood electrical stuff better than probably anyone ever has. Yeah. If we had gone with, you know, uh, it really, if if Edison had not uh, um, been the, the bully, and that's putting it very mildly, that he was, he was also a genius, but he also stole a lot of people's uh, patents that yeah. they made for him yep. um yeah if it was tesla mm-hmm. that and his his you know his electrical sort of system that we had taken rather than edison's would be a very different world we lived in now we live in now yeah oh, for sure yeah. and I, I think we would be so much further along of understanding the relationship between like magnetism and electricity and things like that i mean yep th- there's a lot of stuff there that I, yeah, but the, I, go ahead, go ahead, Rick. It was beyond uh, technology. I mean, yeah. because what what Tesla was proposing, and this is something that uh, obviously was totally against uh, modern, the, the society at the time, and even modern society, was the free uh, distribution of unlimited energy to yeah. society. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, and the people yes. who were backing him at the time, like uh, Westinghouse, when they heard such an idea, like. They were like, uh, no, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I want to, I want to make a buck out of this. So, I mean, you want, you want Tesla technology, you gotta get rid of capitalism because you can't have both. Yeah. 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 He patented, I mean, he patented that in like 1901, I think. Yeah. It was, uh, what was it? It was like apparatus for, you know, uh, radiant energy. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So- love the theory that, uh, you know, it was when Tesla caused that like mild earthquake around his laboratory, uh, was the same day as the Tunguska event. <laughs> <As> Tunguska, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> like, you know. And there was the other guy in, in Italy, you know, Marconi, who uh-huh. also 
it's pretty much ahead of his time, you know. And, yeah. and uh, John Keel writes about him on, on the Eighth Tower about his investigations on on, on things like uh, a death ray. Yeah. That uh, Benito Mussolini was very ex- excited about it. He told his people, you know, whatever this guy asks, you give it to him. You know? But Marconi wasn't really like like Tesla wasn't really that interested in, in his uh, knowledge to be used uh, for the further of uh, suffering and, and war and yeah. uh, I think he died uh, of natural causes but I think there's some speculation that maybe that wasn't the case you know but again you know Marconi that's some always also someone that uh, like Tesla was. You know, they were pioneers and they were like uh, true Superman. <laughs> so uh, also earlier we were talking about volcanoes and lightning and stuff. The other the other thing you see in volcanic activity, not only is electrical activity, but also UFOs. There are tons, <laughs> and, and especially down by you, Red Pill, there are tons of UFO <laughs> sightings near volcanoes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is one of the reasons why... Um, in the latest uh, card in the project that I finished, the the world card, I decided with, to to toy with that idea, and that's what I I uh, envisioned this figure that is almost like a Gaia Earth goddess figure that is coming out of a volcano. Uh, I was greatly influ- influenced by the the image of uh, the demon in in Fantasia, you know, the the Disney movie. Mm. You know, the Nile, yes, the night yeah. of at Bald Mountain. So I want to, I wanted to convey that of this, uh, you know, powerful female goddess coming out of this volcano, and also out of this volcano came out uh, uh, UFO thingies. <laughs> <laughs> nice, right? And then, of course, uh, that has been uh, tricksterized by. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard into the mythology uh, yeah. <laughs> underlying uh, Scientology. Mm. Oh, yes. All right. So let's see here. A tornado or an accompany- accompanying fireball dug a trench in a hard-packed clay tennis court in Cure Pipe Mariantis in the, in the Indian Ocean on uh, May 24th, 1948. A trench running in a north-south direction, 60 feet long and one to two and a half feet wide, was cut into the bare surface of the court to a depth varying from one to four inches. The material lifted from the trench was all thrown to the west at a distance of 50 feet. Pieces weighing about one pound were thrown as far as 30 feet. The surface material was slightly blackened as if by heating, and a crackling like that of sugarcane fire was heard for two or three minutes. One witness claims to have seen a ball of fire about two feet in diameter, which crossed from a football pitch to the tennis court through the wire netting fence without leaving any evidence of its passage. From a physicist's point of view, this is one of the strangest fireball reports on record. It's hard to imagine any theory that could explain electrically charged gases that would pass through metal netting without effect, then interact with clay. Mm. Someone yeah. called Dr. Avi Love. <laughs> <laughs> Get him to investigate this one because yeah. that sounds like a potential candidate for an extraterrestrial, an extraterrestrial probe crashing on our planet. 
Um, and th- this is another scary one here. A freakish blast of heat swept over the towns of Figuera de, de Faz and Coimbra, Coimbra, Portugal, on July 6th, 1949. It lasted only two minutes, but a naval officer reported that the temperature shot up from 100 degrees to 158 degrees Fahrenheit within that time. Many barnyard fowl were killed, and the Mondego River was reported to have dried up in several places. Wow. Oh, wow. When was this? July 6, 1949. Oh. Mm. That's that's scary. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like <laughs> this is the kind of crazy weather we're having these days. Um <laughs> Yeah. No, but that kind of shift, like I, you know, I do wonder uh, within the realm of meteorological possibility. That's it, it's an intense. Was that Celt? That must have been Fahrenheit. Is that's that 100, Fahrenheit. 158. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good point. But I mean, to dry up, you know, the river in certain no, places, and-, and even a jump of 58 degrees is, I mean, that is incredibly anomalous. Yeah. And it, and it yeah. only lasted two minutes. Yeah. So what the hell caused that? That's yeah. wild. Um, an electrical pool swept over a witness in Yellowstone National Park in early September 1949. William B. Sanborn watched a hazy patch of blue light about 50 yards wide and five times that long sweep across a marsh and toward him, moving several feet per second under a low cloud. When the patch was but a few yards away, I noted a sudden calm in the air and a marked change in temperature, as well as what I believe was the odor of ozone. It kept Mm -hmm. low to the ground, actually flowing around everything that it came in contact with, coating it with a strange pulsating light. Each twig on the sagebrush was surrounded by a halo of light about two inches in diameter. It covered the automobile and my person, but it did not cover my skin. Uh, There was a marked tingling sensation on my scalp, and brushing my hair with my hand caused a snapping of tiny sparks. I obtained no shock from touching any object on the ground or the outside of the car. It sounds like a sort of San Elmo's fire type phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, not That's that it's exactly mm, what I was thinking. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, let's see. Got a few minutes left here. A possible natural Earth satellite was first sighted on November 17, 1956, a year before Sputnik. Seven more reports up to 1965 led J.P. Bagby to propose that a meteor may have approached the Earth just at the right angle and speed to be pulled into the orbit for nine years before burning up. Well, we know that it's possible. You know, in fact, uh, right now, I think NASA... Uh, has a plan to put a natural satellite uh, on the orbit of of the moon, you know, to capture an an asteroid and put it on the orbit of the moon. So yeah, to to the idea of the of the moon, uh, the the moon's gravitational pull to to pull, you know, some kind of like a rogue rock passing nearby, you know, and 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 getting you know to orbit it for a number of years before crashing it crashing on it, on, on its surface. I think it's you know quite reasonable. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think that we try to disregard these things as a society just because it's more comfortable that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we, when you think about the solar system being as active as it actually is, um, yeah, and the number of times we've had you know asteroids hit the Earth <laughs> that that have caused some serious damage throughout. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, you know, this stuff is it, it seems certainly plausible and i think we just try to you know not think about it basically 
We yeah. seem to be pretty good at that. Yes. As a yes. society. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I mean, the, remember the, the, all those crazy videos from the Chelyablinsk uh, comet from mm-hmm. Russia? You know, all these people that were uh, driving on this car going to do and then there's this fireball that's yeah. across their windshield. And these people didn't even like veer or they hit the brakes. They're just going over their business like, yeah, there's... Yeah, another day in Russia. You know, like, okay, yeah, yeah. these guys are hardcore. <laughs> That's an understatement. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that should have been a ma- massive wake-up call to just how easy it is for us to get hit by something massive. Yes. Exactly. Well, I think in this sort of weird speculative to- way, too, and I, I'm not going into the, the politics of it, but just the fact that we had this pandemic that was, you know, you think about all like, you know, uh, like uh, the Omega strain and, you know, uh, contagion and uh, outbreak and all of these sort of fictionalized ideas that we have of a pandemic happening, you know, in sort of the science fiction world and how the world would react to it and, you know, uh, the things that would come out of it. Um, and I don't think any of what happened was any of any, anybody could have predicted the way that like people reacted to it. Uh, it's just a very different world. And so I think that when you look at some of these speculative things, things that exist only in fiction to the, for the most part, in terms of us really interacting with them, um, uh, like UFOs, for instance, you know, when we end up really facing what, some of these things are it could be very different you know yes. even if it is the same thing even if it's a nuts and bolts ufo heck mm-hmm. you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah because we put our own interpretations on it with, with very right. limited data right or how we're all gonna de- you know how the world will react to it and then what the the fallout will be i mean if actual disclosure happened if actual like you know Biden and uh, uh, all the, you know, the rest of the, you know, uh, world leaders got up and said, we've been hiding this for, you know, the past, you know, century. Uh, Who knows what would happen? I mean, it could be very different. It could shake out very different than everybody thinks. And, And I think if something came of the disclosure stuff that wasn't so similar to all the stuff we've been hearing for decades, I might take more notice. Right. You yeah. know, it, it's the right. thing that if you've been paying attention, it's this because the thing is people have short memories. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they for, they forget or they just never knew in the first place. You know, they're yeah. just getting into the UFO stuff now and they're just jumping right into the disclosure movement and they're saying, oh, look, this this is amazing. Look what's happening in yeah. our time. And it's like, but people were thinking this in the 80s and, yeah. you know, and, and various other well, time periods, you know, since. Right. That's history. I mean, gosh, we can go back humanity and the, the the things we've been doing it's pretty easy if you really look at the history going back yeah 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 um a purple this is probably the last one a purple blue four inch ball surrounded by flame colored halo appeared above the stove in smithwick england home during a uh thunderstorm in 1975 the witness brushed it away from her, feeling heat around her gold wedding band. It burned a two-by-four-inch hole in her dress and tights as it disappeared with a bang. The fabric around the hole was shriveled but not charred, and the print was faded. And I, th- <sighs> and I think that speaks to the very strange nature of ball lightning. Yeah. 
It's interesting. It didn't hurt her. Yeah, exactly. That we know of. That we don't. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe two years later, he, she developed cancer or something. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, this yeah, is the right? it, it, this reminds me of some of the accounts that uh, Dr. Keith Green and Gary Nolan have been researching. You know, one of those was were uh, I think it was uh, uh, a man and her daughter driving, and then they noticed some kind of like a brilliant uh, ball in front of their car, and then somehow the ball got inside their vehicle, and it. Uh, touched the, the man and and it, it caused some kind of like uh, severe burns in him and and oh. I think that the guy uh, I may be mistaken but I think the guy developed cancer and died oh wow so mm. I, I talked about this on the show a while back but you know we had that ball shoot through the car when we were in Japan uh, you know we thought it was a headlight on like a motorcycle ahead and it was coming down the road right and it went right through the windshield went right between me and my professor and went out the back window yeah there you I, go. I, I hope I don't get cancer, <laughs> but we didn't feel anything. It was just bright. Right. You know, I mean, it was, it was weird. Yeah. The, the, the lack of resistance around her, you know what I mean? Or yeah, disturbance. Yeah, yeah. Right. Huh. Hmm. All right. Well, we're pretty much out of time here. Uh, Red pill. Where can people find you? At my home working my ass off so I can finish <laughs> this goddamn tarot card sometime. How, how about online? And also they can, huh? How about online? Online, they can find me uh, at the Daily Grail, www.dailygrail.com. They can find my website, which is sorely neglected, absorbedbydesign.com. They can find me on Twitter. They can find me on Facebook, too. And they can also find uh, quite a few of these episodes on Where Did the Road Go, where I have been kindly invited to participate. Yes. And uh, Chris, you can go to a brightrectangle.com for weird film and video stuff. Yeah. And what about you, Super Inframan? You know, I, I float around uh, the Discord on Instagram, and and I'm on Twitter a bit more these days. But I'll be honest, I, I'm like having fun talking about comic books and things on there. <laughs> so. <laughs> Be warned. I, I don't talk about as much anomalous stuff on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you all. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. There is a Patreon segment following this where we talk about more stories from Mysteries of the Unexplained, uh, mostly UFO cases. And uh, so if you want to become a patron, it's only $3 a month. I do recommend you wait to the early part of the month because if you subscribe in the last days of the month, it's going to recharge you when the new month starts. So just a uh, Handy suggestion earlier is better to subscribe just because, you know, that way you pay and get a month's worth or so uh, rather than paying and then getting charged again a few days later. So, uh, yeah, but uh, it helps out the show greatly. You have no idea how much the Patreon helps me keep this show going. We're going to be doing some more uh, short episodes as well. So I may keep that going as everyone seemed to like that. Uh, we recorded two when we recorded this, so they'll be up later this week, at least one, probably both of them. And, uh, of course, on the site is merch and all our social media and everything else. So if you like the show, go connect with us. If you have any uh, personal stories you want to relate, stories at com. I'd really love to end this show with uh, Tanya Donnelly's Mysteries of the Unexplained, just because it's really fitting, but I, I don't have the rights to do that, so I can't. But you know what? You can go find that on your own if you want to check it out and 
It's just kind of an appropriate song, and it's named perfectly. So instead, I'm going to go with Drama Scream, band from, uh, I believe, Elmira. No, Endicott. They're from Endicott, New York. And uh, they'll probably be up into the studio again for Last Exit before the end of the year to play again. This comes off their 2018 album, In Your Mind. It's a song called Fire. I will see you next time. listening to Where Did the Road Go? 
This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support. <laughs>